is uh, This is Joe Cole. This is Ruben Loftus Cheek, and you're listening to the London, the London is Blue podcast. All right, Chelsea fans, welcome back to another episode of the London is Blue podcast. As always, your host, Brandon Joe, and my host, Dan. No Nick this morning, but instead, it is a Matt Law special, Dan. It is going to be a good one to, to touch base and see how the season has gone so far. Well, and Matt, welcome back because it's been a little bit of time because we had that international break to ruin all of our fun that we were having at the start of the season. But, you know, we're, we're here. We're all smiles and uh, hopefully you've been well. Yeah, all good. All well, guys. Busy. But yeah, very well. Very well. Enjoying it. Good. Enjoying it. Yes. Obviously, as are we, as we are now officially top of the table after the last round of matches. Uh, but today we'll talk about Chelsea's progress in the season so far. Again, I, I can't emphasize this enough while I have the opportunity that we're top of the table right now. Uh, progress with upcoming contract renewals. We uh, definitely think there might be few, especially after yesterday, but we won't get too impulsive. And then obviously look ahead to the next set of matches, which includes Matt's Villa in the Carabao Cup. So... Dan, let's kick it off with maybe the season's progress. Yeah, and Matt, since you last spoke with us and our audience, I had to detail everything that kind of happened. So we've had Saul being added to the squad officially because we were doing that right before we yep. experienced the joy or displeasure of the international break, however you view your football. We had the uh, London is Blue Matt Law Derby, the first edition of it mm. this season. <laughs> we had Zenit come to town and Chelsea picking up all points and getting through that match. And then just yesterday... Reenacted a game of cat and mouse where we played Spurs or played with Spurs for 45 minutes and then cruised to a 3 0 victory at the end of it. And so, just as you look at the whole of how Chelsea's time has gone since we've last spoken, what's your assessment on the start of the season? Well, I mean, results wise, it's been an excellent start to the season, hasn't it? Still unbeaten, um, 13 points. Uh, 13 points collected when you've already gone to Arsenal, to Liverpool, three games that you would have on the fixture list as being tough, really tough trips. So to come out with seven points from nine, and I think a lot of people will have treated that Anfield result like three points because of the nature of it. Results-wise, it's, it's been pretty much near on perfect. Um, also, you know, three, three nils, you know, Tottenham yesterday, Villa, Crystal Palace. So, you know, goals haven't been too much of a problem. And yet I would say... Performance-wise, still a little bit patchy, which is to be expected. I think there's been some excellent 45 minutes, some excellent kind of half an hour spells. The Liverpool display was an excellent 90 minutes in a different type of way. I actually think the Liverpool game is still Chelsea's best performance of the season. Um, but yeah, plen plenty for for supporters to be encouraged about. And I, I, I suppose the best thing for Chelsea fans is, is that you know that there should be a lot more to come. You know, Mount has had a quiet start to the season. You'd expect him to hit some form at some stage. Havertz, I've actually been disappointed in. Um, you would hope that he would hit some better form more consistently at some stage. This, this, the link-up with Lukaku is already looking great, but that's surely only going to get better. So, And Saul, who had a very difficult debut for 45 minutes in his villa, you would imagine he will feel his way in and at some stage he will be better. So a lot to look forward to because there's a lot of room for improvement and yet you're top of the table and haven't been beaten. Well, I think that's a lot of it too is like, to your point, you know, Mason's still playing every minute possible. You know, haven't really seen it click for him. Kai, his, his just 
missed the last part of the moves or the runs and things like that to your, you know. And so the one thing that is settled though is the defense. And the, even though there's been a little bit of rotation, including Keppa in this last match, uh, Christensen playing right center back uh, or sweeper, um, Rudiger is a mainstay. So do you think it's more surprising that A, uh, the clean sheets have become just absolutely automatic right now, although I predict we'll concede at some point every week? Or is it the fact that Chelsea now have 11 different goal scorers after we just assumed Lukaku was going to mop them all up? <laughs> what amazes me about the defence, and it has done ever since Tuchel arrived pretty much, this is going back into last season, that no matter what changes he has to make there or, or what changes he chooses to make a lot of the time, it it still doesn't seem to alter it. You know, it's not like... If let's call them for argument's sake a back five, let's include the wing-backs in this. I know it's a back three, but let's include the wing-backs in this. If you look at that back five, it changes under two core. It's changed a lot. You know, he he rotates Aspilicueta and Reese James a lot. He has rotated Alonso and Chilwell a lot. Obviously, not yet this season, but you imagine he will. He likes to dip Tiago Silva in, and when Tiago Silva gets in, he usually does well enough to make it very hard to drop him back out. I mean, he was exceptional against Tottenham. Um, Christensen, who looks so comfortable playing in the middle of a back three looks just as comfortable on the right-hand side. The, the one mainstay, like you say, is Rüdiger, partly because of his exceptional form and partly also because I think that is the one position that they don't have that rotation possibility. They don't have that other left-sided centre-back quite so much. So I think that's another reason why Rüdiger plays more than the others at the moment. But I am amazed at how he can change the personnel back there and change their positions. You know, Christensen moving centre to right, back again, Aspie moving from right centre back out to right wing back, back again. And yet it doesn't seem to affect how solid they are. I think I saw a statistic somewhere that Chelsea have now kept more clean sheets under Tuchel than they have conceded goals. Correct. I think it's 15 clean sheets and 14 goals conceded. And as Nick pointed out yesterday, five of those 14 were against West Brom in one match. And yeah, wow. That just messes with your head, doesn't it? That really <laughs> does mess with your head. And then add the Kepa factor in. You know, before Tuchel came to town, let's face it, Kepa was a guaranteed two or three goals for the opposition. All of a sudden, Kepa, I think Kepa's kept about six clean sheets under Tuchel now. Is it six clean sheets in the nine appearances under Tuchel, something like that? Again, <clears throat> phenomenal. So that that's what's impressed me even more than the amount to, sorry, that was a very long-winded answer to your question. And uh, that is what has impressed me most, even more so than the goals are getting shared around. Although the goals getting shared around is extremely encouraging, I would say. Um, so, you know, you talked a little bit about players who maybe haven't started off or haven't kicked into their their third, fourth, fifth gear, whatever it might be. You mentioned Mason, you mentioned Kai. What else are you looking to see from Chelsea at this point? You things that you're kind of have open questions on, and, and even maybe like the Rudiger rotation piece, right? You know, we've got one left center back, but there's not really anybody else who kind of slots into that position. What are those kind of two or three main things that you want to see a little more from to feel more comfortable or confident that Chelsea have the energy or the kind of thrust to be the title contender, not a title contender? I think the balance in midfield, I still haven't quite seen properly yet. I've seen some excellent individual performances in midfield. You know, Kovacic against Villa was 
individually brilliant. But they had to make the change in that game because Saul suffered a very bad first 45 minutes, which you can understand. And I think everyone's willing to give him a free pass on that one. Um, Yesterday, he went with Jorginho and Kovacic to start with. Kovacic had a difficult game defensively, I thought. I thought when in that first half when when Tottenham really pressed, I thought he he struggled with them a little bit. And obviously Kante came on for Mount, which was a bit of a surprise, but worked a treat. But the, the, the balance in there, I mean, it just still feels obviously every huge game you need Kante because he's so phenomenal. Um, the balance in that midfield will be interesting and I don't think is quite there. Um, sorry to repeat myself, but Kai been disappointed with I thought Kai would start this season really strong because he I was very impressed with him in the Euros and I thought he had some momentum to take from the Euros and actually I thought he started well against Crystal Palace and I think he's been disappointing since then um, and a little bit of a passenger in some games um, so let's see whether Kai can kind of spring to life because we know what an exceptional player he is and yeah, I mean, it's just relationships, isn't it? It's how the, you know what? I'm excited by Lukaku and Werner. And let, let's see let's see if Werner keeps his place for the Man City game now, because I think that could be very, very exciting. Um, with Lukaku's hold at play and how clever he is, with Werner's pure pace and the chaotic way he plays football almost, I know he could have scored a goal or two yesterday. I actually thought the one that Larry saved with his legs was just a good save. I don't think that was a miss. I've, I've watched that again this morning. And I, Werner lifts the ball. I don't see what else he can do differently. He doesn't have a lot of room. And Larice gets out to him well and saves well with his legs. The other one he probably could have scored. But of course, he comes up with assist for, for Rudiger as well. And I, I thought Werner just looked exciting when he came on next to the Kaku. And I do think that's got something in it. I would like to see that against Man City because I do think that catching Man City on the break and and having pace against their defence can really work. So that I would like to see that in the short term. That's probably one I'd really like to see. And then this Chilwell-Alonso battle is going to be really interesting, isn't it? You would imagine it will develop into a battle at some stage, that it won't just be Alonso continually playing. And, and that will become very interesting. Um, but as I say, it, it seems crazy to say, but even though Chelsea are topping and beating... Um, and haven't really had a problem yet. There, there's still quite a lot to to sort of see and and see how things develop. I think. Yeah, I think I felt like the team was like at a, like a seven out of ten. You know, it definitely still levels to go. They're not going to play ten out of ten every week. Um, but it, it's yeah, very very interesting. I think um, if I if I'm Trevo, I'm going right to that left center back position in like the shadow play drills and be like, uh, I'll take a chance here. Because to your point, Matt, he's got, you know, Aspie and Christensen potentially all fighting for that spot. And so uh, I'm moving over to the line that no one's in and being like, I'll figure it out. <laughs> That'll be really interesting for the Villa game on Wednesday night. I think, you know, a lot. Of, I know a lot of people aren't that interested in the Carabao Cup. I, I find it a good competition and I, I actually quite like to see some of the other players and some of the other ways of, of, of doing things. And I do think I'm going to that game. And I can't imagine Rüdiger will play that game. I can't imagine they can possibly risk him having him played every single minute up until now. Um, and who plays that left centre-back role? 
will be very interesting, I think, because they do need, they need to know, I'm sure Tuchel does, but we need to know what will happen there because Rudiger hasn't suffered injuries for a while now, actually, but previously in his Chelsea career, he was a player who suffered injuries. And at the moment, you know, there are probably four players, three, four players who you wouldn't want to suffer an injury for any amount of time that you really feel would impact Chelsea. That's obviously Lukaku, Kante, Mende, and now and these days you'd put Rudiger into that because because he's been exceptional because you don't really know who would necessarily replace him. So I think Wednesday might provide us with a clue on that. And and like you said, it'd be interesting whether Chalabar could try and sort of invent himself into that position because it would definitely help him probably. Right. And again, I was surprised that Alonso played three matches in eight days or whatever it was, but here he is. And, and Matt, you fired off a tweet saying the bench could potentially be Chelsea's most valuable tool in the title challenge. So again, we've kind of talked about that. I mean, we, we kind of ripped through a ton of different people that Chelsea have off the bench. When you look at Spurs' bench versus Chelsea's bench specifically, I mean, obviously Tuchel only made two subs uh, in the match, but again, the the amount of depth he can pull from that bench, we think, is is pretty tremendous. Do you think that there's one or two players that are on the bench right now that you think are going to end up having big roles this season? It sounds like Timo might be one of them. Yeah, I still think Timo could have a big role for sure. I still think Ben Chilwell could have a big role for sure. Um, my personal opinion is he will come in at some point and probably take that place again like he did last season. But, but let's say all credit to Alonso, who's playing exceptionally well. Um, and there's always going to be a midfielder on that bench, isn't there? There's always probably going to be, whether it's Mount, whether it's Kante, whether it's Saul. In fact, there'll probably always be two of those midfielders. You know, the, the, the way he plays, you'll probably always have Saul and someone else or one of those central midfielders and someone else. I mean, it's just crazy when you look through the bench. I mean, Tuchel has spoken about the fact that his squad isn't enormous. And in actual fact, it isn't enormous. It's not a sprawling squad, but it's the quality is just ridiculous. I mean, I made the point yesterday that, you know, it made me sort of smile Riley against Villa when Villa are doing very well against Chelsea, that Chelsea can just bring on the European footballer of the year to, uh, to steady things up and see off Villa. And then yesterday, it was probably the best midfielder in the world who, who comes on to change the game. And So Liverpool don't have those options. Liverpool have about 12 to 13 excellent players who can win a title. But if they have problems within that squad, that, which they obviously had last season, they don't have the depth. Man United have the depth, but Man United have holes within their depth. They don't have the depth in the midfield area. They have the depth up front. And they just about have the depth at the back, I would say, but they don't have the depth in the sort of central midfield area. So Chelsea's depth, I think, is going to be huge for them. Even Man City, their their squad to me looks imbalanced. You know, they've got too many number 10s and too many of that kind of player and obviously not enough strikers. Um, so I, I, I honestly do think that could be huge for Chelsea. It could be the deciding factor, particularly with the fact that, as we I think we spoke about last time, I still see COVID having an impact on this title race. There are going to be weeks where players miss games because we find out afterwards they've got COVID or something. Um, so I think it'll be massive. It's, it's The bench, I think, is a huge thing for Chelsea. Absolutely massive. It's why I put them at the moment as favourites. So as we talk about a lot of the players, there's also a manager we need to talk about who showed 
just why he's one of the best in in Europe yesterday with the substitutions and the situations and formations that he was able to create for the players to really excel. How have you seen Tuchel's evolution this season, kind of thinking about maybe the, the first chapter as January to winning the Champions League and now how he's doing this season you know you're you're in the zooms you're getting to go to the matches and see him acting on the touchline like how is he continuing to evolve in your mind um it's a really interesting question that 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 there's not been too much different i mean i think what has evolved throughout the chelsea is that they're still keeping the clean sheets but i don't think they're as pragmatic as they were i think in the first half of his still short reign i think they were quite pragmatic and not 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 massively exciting, in all honesty. Um, but that last that hasn't just evolved this season. That started to evolve last season, the longer he was in. And he, he managed to add to that pragmatism. He managed to develop it into a security at the back, but with a balance of starting to play some quite exciting football. I, last season, I still thought they were a counter-attack team, mainly under him, particularly with Timo. And Romelu has definitely changed that. They're not so much a counter-attacking team now. Um, it doesn't mean they have Man City-style possession, because they still don't, But because they can play it long into Lukaku. But they're not, they're not that same counter-attacking team. I think that has definitely changed this season. There's been a slight style change from that point of view. Um, he denied this yesterday. He denied that they went to 3-5-2 when Kante came on. But I, I've thought against Tottenham and Villa in the second half that they've looked more 3-5-2 than the 3-4-2-1 or the 3-4-3, however you used to look at it. I think that Havertz in both of those games has looked a bit more like a secondary striker next to Lukaku and it's been a little bit more 3-5-2. He denied that yesterday, so maybe I'm reading that wrong because, let's face it, I don't know as much as him. Um, but stylistically, why in terms how he is the same. Um, I haven't seen a difference in him. I haven't seen what you do tend to find, which is very interesting. And certainly this was the case under Mourinho and Conte. The minute they'd won a trophy, the next season, the arrogance in them struggled to be suppressed. And that's not a criticism of them, because I, I, I think this is said very similar with a lot of managers. But once you've won a big trophy, all of a sudden you're the king of the club and you can pretty much do and say what you like. I haven't seen that in Tuchel at all. He's still acting like he acted the first day he came in, very relaxed, very calm. It's very clear who he sees as the boss, i.e. Marina, not himself. Um, not making demands, not trying to be politically clever, not being arrogant in the slightest. And that is a definite difference from Mourinho and Conte. And I think the club will be loving that, quite frankly. The club will be really enjoying that. Um, but yeah, so it's more of the same. It's been a bit bit of evolution, bit of evolution, I would say, from last season. Like I say, not quite so counter-attacking. But the Man City game coming up could be very interesting because I would imagine their best way of beating Man City, as has been proven in the last few encounters, would be with a counter-attacking style. So it'll be interesting to see whether he dovetails back into that now. I like Tuchel. I think he <laughs> has been fantastic. To your point, I think he's a little cheeky at times, but um, just his approach to it. I mean, he seems to have everyone 
everyone like in line and bought in. And at the end of the day, I mean, that's the alignment is the biggest thing for any manager coach in sports or in the normal workforce. But with Chelsea serving as a measuring stick for the teams, um, do you think Spurs are super worried about the season ahead with the turmoil they've had? And the only reason I come to you about that is because we just played them and also you cover them. So I feel like you have a really good of of sense of you know where they're at. I'll come back to that one. I just thought about something on two call that probably would like to add. When he first came into Chelsea, obviously Chelsea are often billed as this impossible club to manage, very difficult. You're always under constant threat of strong personalities that lots of managers have had problems with, let's face it. Lampard had problems with some of them who were still there. So I, I put this to someone very close to the club. It's not someone who works at the club. It's someone who's very close to the club and does a lot of work with the club. And I, I, I said, you know, how is it that Tuchel doesn't seem to be getting affected by what drags a lot of Chelsea managers down, that the pressure on that job, the personalities, the, the difficulty, it's a unique job. And they literally said to me, look, whatever you think about Chelsea and how difficult Chelsea might be, if you've come from PSG, you've already managed at the biggest shithouse club in the world. There's not a bigger shithouse club out there. There's The pressure at PSG and the way you're treated at PSG is far worse than you'll ever get treated anywhere else. Mauricio Pochettino is probably finding this out right now. You've also dealt with the biggest shithouse dressing room you will ever come across in your career. Neymar, plenty of others... Anything else is a walk in the park. And I think there's an element of that in two. I get the impression from Tuchel that he almost came to Chelsea with this weight lifted off his shoulders. Like, people are telling me that Chelsea's really difficult and Rudiger's difficult to manage and Alonso's difficult to manage and blah, blah, blah. And he's probably like, I've just come from PSG. You want to see it over there, guys. And the whole thing has just landed perfectly for Chelsea and perfectly for Tuchel. And I think you can see it in his demeanour. I think there's a real relaxation about him that you don't usually see from Chelsea managers. And I think it's because of the club he's come from, actually. Anyway, so you want Tottenham. Um, Quick update. I, I, I think Tottenham are in a lot of trouble this season. I, I thought I wrote a piece before the Chelsea game that they're in trouble and some Tottenham fans were getting angry with me because obviously they'd won three of their four games and it looked a little bit strange. But all of their statistics, apart from points... They're in 17th, 16th, 18th in the league, you know, XG, shots against XG, goals for XG, goals against XG, everything. Their numbers are terrible. Um, The supporters aren't enthused by Nuno. They didn't really want him. The club didn't really want him. And I think they've got big problems down there. And I think it's going to be a difficult season for them. And Harry Kane still hasn't scored and seems to have decided he's not going to play as a striker anymore, which is a huge difficulty for them <laughs> it's a it's a bold move we'll see if it pays <laughs> off for them. all right well hey we're gonna take a real quick break when we get back we'll talk about the upcoming renewals but thanks these sponsors for financially supporting the show we'll be right back all right well flipping into the roster matt there's several individuals likely to see at a minimum the offer of an extension so let's talk about a few of them but first maybe we could talk about how chelsea approach extensions do they take any specific approaches that make them more or less favorable to work with um i feel like marina tends to really try not to be impulsive you know aka rudiger well you know inside getting inside 12 months you know playing really really well but you know they have kind of their formula for how they do it don't they yeah they're not impulsive at all you know some clubs 
are very impulsive. Some clubs, you know, the the manager or player will show a little bit of good form and there's a massive rush to and panic almost to get things done. Chelsea are, are the opposite of that. Um, they very rarely strike me as being in a rush. If you look at it, a lot of their players who are in the last year of their contracts, they actually will leave it very late, even the ones that you're desperate for them to keep. You know, if you think back to the Lampard days, even in the John Terry days and the Ashley Cole days, they, they would play poker right till the end. Um, and that they're very rarely in a rush, and that can frustrate supporters, I know, but that's how they've always done it, and that's, I think, with Marina, how they will always continue to do it. The form comes into it, but it's never the main... It never becomes the driving factor. I mean, if you look at William, the, the summer William left was, I think, he'd been voted player of the year or, or was certainly had a very good season just before. And people were screaming, you know, Lampard wanted him to stay and fans were screaming for him to stay. And the deal wasn't right for Chelsea, wasn't right for Marina. So they they said goodbye. And, you know, you look at it now and you, you think it's a genius decision. And... The Rudiger situation is, reminds me a little bit of the Williams situation was, to be honest with you, in that here's a player who's playing fantastically well, who's very popular with supporters now, and who can probably get some very, very big offers from abroad in January, or even rival clubs as Williams did from, from Arsenal. And yet Chelsea will not rush and be panicked and not suddenly rip up the way they do business just because of that. And that's, that is how things are playing out. And also, similarly, even though I think they will do something with Kante at some point, Kante's got another, enough years left on his contract and he's settled down now after, I think this time last year and before then, there was a bit of fear about whether Kante was happy at Chelsea. Um, I think I wrote about it. But um, those fears have, have sort of gone now. So again, they don't need to rush into anything with Kante. They can do other things first and have other priorities. And Aspie, I've said before on the show, I think it will actually come down to Aspie. I think Aspie will get offered something, probably very late on, because again, I don't think there's any necessity for them to rush anything. And I don't think that they'll be worried that he'll be talking behind their backs to anyone in January or whatever. I think they'd pretty confident he probably won't be looking for anything in January. So I think that will just get left till the end of the season and that will almost just be Aspie's choice. But Chelsea really won't alter that. I can't see a scenario where Chelsea alter how they operate, which is usually in a very sort of relaxed and um, planned out way rather than a panicking or reactive way. So you talked about a couple of names there. I I think Rudiger is probably the one that fans have the largest question mark over at the moment or supporters just because they're seeing this incredible run of form. And I think to your previous comments, you mentioned that Chelsea as a club are not going to rush, which is potentially going to not ingratiate them with the the supporters. The speed of the renewal doesn't match the enthusiasm for trying to secure a long-term plan for the player. Are you concerned or would you think from the outside view that maybe Rudiger at this moment is actually starting to play himself out of Chelsea's kind of wage structure, wage packet if he continues this run of form? Or do you think that Chelsea, if he sustains the form, would be willing to stump up a larger offer kind of in line with something that he might see from abroad? Well, look, the the Rudiger situation has become very interesting. I mean, what I would say in defense, very much in defense of the club is that 
they, they haven't rushed or panicked, but they have made him a very good offer. It's not like they haven't offered him anything. You know, they've offered him what I understand to be around £140,000 a week, um, which is a good increase on on what he's currently on. And for a defender of his age and his injury history, I would suggest is a good offer as well. I don't think it's a bad offer at all. Um, and it's let's face it, it's pretty much an opening offer. So I think there's always an expectation with an opening offer that what you get to will probably be above what the opening offer is. So it's not like they haven't offered him anything. So they're not just sitting there hoping the worst doesn't happen kind of thing and that this guy will just turn around and sign whatever. Um, the difficulty is, is that it's quite an interesting situation, actually, and a lot of clubs have got this. The transfer market has evolved. We saw it with PSG very much this summer. There's a real market now for players to become free transfers because of the COVID impact and, and clubs not wanting to shell out on fees. There's almost this new top-end free transfer market. You know, Donnarumma did it. Uh, Ramos did it, I think. Wijnaldum did it. You've got the Pogba situation at Manchester United. He could do it. I think there are some other high-profile players who could do it too. And Rüdiger's starting to fall into this category where some of the biggest clubs in Europe are looking at him and thinking, well, if we don't have to pay a transfer fee for this guy, if we could get him for sort of 250 grand a week for the way he's playing, that'd be excellent business. So that complicates things for Chelsea and it complicates things for a lot of clubs. Um, and at the moment, you would have to say that he is playing to a level in the Champions League and for Chelsea. If you think that Chelsea's highest earning players are N'Golo Kante, Romelu Lukaku, Timo Werner, who all earn ballpark £250,000 a week, bit more, bit less for some of them. If you're Antonio Rudiger, you're probably thinking, well, I need to be in that bracket now, really. I'm, I'm one of the most important players. Uh, this is my last big contract. They've had these contracts. I've I've performed over the last sort of eight, nine months as well as these guys. So that's that's what I should be aiming for. The problem is, is that 12 months ago, not many people would have even been talking about offering him a new contract this time last year. The other problem is he's got this injury history. So there's a lot of factors to take into account. And it's why... Nothing is going to get done quickly. There's going to be an awful lot of negotiating. There's going to be an awful lot of back and forth. And I do think that Rudiger will probably in January see what people are talking to him about because foreign clubs can talk to him perfectly legally and can make him offers, none of which I expect him to accept in January in terms of accepting any pre-contracting that early. But that will give him a better idea of where his market's at. Will Rudiger get people like PSG and Bayern on the phone, offering him over £200,000 a week, which he obviously, and well, let's say his representatives thinks will, will happen. If that happens, then if Chelsea don't substantially increase their offer, then they will probably lose him. If it doesn't happen, if those offers don't start rolling in at the, the, the sort of level he his people are probably hoping for, then it probably puts the ball back into Chelsea's court. It's it's definitely been really interesting to see how it goes. I mean, to that that point, right? Twenty eight. He's got years left. How long is the deal? All that stuff. We'll have to figure it out. Um, but we've even talked about, you know, Christensen seems to be, you know, 
all but done. It seemed like Chelsea got that one wrapped up while still balancing a Rudiger, potentially Silva, you know, Asby, anyone else in that back line. Does that sound right? Yeah, I mean, Christensen's done. Christensen, we, I've repeated this a couple of times. There's a few little bits and bobs in terms of uh, timings on different payments to different people as part of the negotiation. Obviously, agents have to be paid on negotiation and when they, they those people get their money and things like that, and then the timing of when they want to announce it. But Christensen's done. Christensen's about £140,000 a week as well. Um, I'm told he's very happy with it. That's clear. That's sort of a tick in the box. So it's Aspilicueta a PR game? Like it's not just a PR game because... It's not just a PR game because... Like I say, you've got to pay agents for these negotiations and they've got to just sort out how much the agent gets, I think, and stuff like that. But in terms of Christensen agreeing and it being done, it's done. Then it will then it will turn into a PR game of when it's best to announce it. And then um, the other two, I don't think anything will really even get discussed until right towards the end of the season anyway. So then it will become about Rudiger, really. Um and but I don't see anything happening very quickly at all on that, in all honesty. So maybe let's talk about something that's in frame a little sooner, and that is the next edition of the London is Blue Matt Law Derby, which is the Villa match coming up in uh, will essentially be, you know, 32 to 36 hours after we release this episode. because it'll go out on Tuesday. We're recording it on the Monday we were talking right before we started recording about the lineup zaniness that you were anticipating coming from this and Tuchel. What, what do you see as those players potentially even on the fringes who might get some minutes in this one? Yeah, we were talking about it. I was thinking about this today, actually, I would expect Bettinelli to start in goal. Um, I think it's probably the only competition he'll get minutes in and particularly with Kepa starting at the weekend, I'd expect Bettinelli to start in goal. I think Malang Sarr has got to have a very good chance of, of starting, which would be his Chelsea debut. I don't think he's played at any level for Chelsea before yet. So that would be interesting. That would be very interesting. Um, Trevor Chalabar, you would imagine, will will come back in to that sort of back three. Um, Chilwell will start. Uh, Saul, I would imagine, will, will start again and, and try and use it as a game to get up to speed with English football, it would be very useful outside of him. I think there's a fair chance Ross Barkley will start because I don't see how you can risk Jorginho, Kovacic or Kante with a Man City game coming up. You just can't risk an injury there. Um, Loftus-Cheek, I'm pretty sure, will play. Hudson-Odoi, I think, will get a game and I think he'll get it in his favoured position on the left. Very big game for him, actually. Very big game for him. You know, if, if he wants to challenge for that position and if he wants to sort of be a realistic contender over there, then playing against what could be a sort of mix and match Villa team, um, he needs to make an impact. Um, does ZH play or could ZH be saved back because of the Man City game? Not sure. Does Werner start or is now Werner in the thoughts to start against Man City? Again, not quite sure. Um, if Werner start doesn't start, I'm not really sure he'll play up front. To be quite honest with you, so yeah, the, this, I think I like. Look, I quite like the Carabao. I like seeing, I like seeing these different things. I like seeing who might knock on the door or who really may as well discount for the rest of the season. 
being a Villa fan, it'll be absolutely sod's law that Ross, Ross will come back in and score an absolute screamer against us, having had a difficult time against us. But it will it will be it will probably be what you would call Chelsea's C team. I don't think it's even what you could call Chelsea's B team. That's not to say that people like Chilwell are in Chelsea's C team. I don't take it as literally as that. But you'd probably, if you were fielding a B team, it would be a bit stronger than the team that will face Villa on Wednesday night. And and Villa's will be definitely a B team. Again, it, it, I can't see people like Ings, Watkins, people like that playing. I, th- I think they will field some youngsters and some squad players too. Okay, well, that that is good to know. Uh, Dan, I don't think we'll rotate that deeply, but we, you know, we could be wrong. Where do you stand? Do you think it'll be A, B, or C team on Wednesday night? Maybe it's the B minus C plus. It's somewhere in between Splitting what hairs. Matt has projected and uh, what what the reality might be. I, I don't know. I I think you know the SAR one might be. I don't know if that's like the bridge too far. Um, but if he doesn't play SAR in this game, there's there's no point having him at the football club. You know, sure. there's, well, there's literally I, no point having him at the football club. He's he's part of the squad. He's talked about the fact that these players have to be ready. I think you've got to give the guy a game somewhere and. Your next two games are Man City and Juventus. I mean, chill. You know, chill Man City matches. at home and Juventus away. I mean, surely this is the time to to give Sarah a get. He has to, in my mind. Otherwise, he may as well just not be on the payroll. Which probably was the plan until it wasn't. But uh, you know, we'll figure it out. We're in this situation. You got to manage it. To your point, Tuchel is really good about getting people minutes, showing them trust. Uh, and seeing how it goes. And then to your point, City over the weekend. Um, you think Tuchel's going to make a 4-4 four four versus Pep? I mean, they just drew nil-nil with Southampton, really missing Harry Kane. <laughs> the other thing is, is that it, of all the teams that Man City haven't been suited to facing lately, it, it's been this Chelsea team under Tuchel. And, and like I say, the, the counter-attacking element has been a big problem for Man City which does make me wonder whether Werner will start that Man City game instead of Havertz because he gives them that 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 danger to really break fast at them. And I think that could work in his favour. Look, I would City aren't really at it yet. City lost at Tottenham. They weren't really at it against Southampton. I think the striker thing is a problem for Pep. He doesn't seem that happy at the moment. He's arguing about the club's fans. I think it's a great opportunity for Chelsea to suddenly build up what would be a six-point lead over City. or Would it be a six-point lead if I got that right? Um, I think it would be a six-point lead. Yeah, I think they're on nine. Yeah, I think City yeah, are on ten. they've already they? dropped four. Yeah. So to build up a six-point lead, even though it's this early, would just be a massive mark, and I think it's a great opportunity for them to. Um, having said that, let's not be kid ourselves. Playing City is never going to be easy, and they will have to be on top, top form. Uh, Dan, Chelsea, or I'm sorry, Man City have also been doing the business when it comes to um, keeping clean sheets as well. So for the most part, they I remember we had talked about it as just Liverpool, Chelsea, and City who have only conceded one this season. Obviously, theirs being against Spurs. So um, it's yeah, gonna be gonna be a big one. Obviously, yeah, I, I do like the shout for the Timo inclusion that Matt has spoken about, really dragging. The defenders out of position. I mean, he was causing 
nightmares for that. I'm just, I still think they're probably having flashbacks. They're waking up in sweat in the night, thinking about the European final, <laughs> just how far they, the, the amount of space being created. So I think Lukaku would be very excited to potentially have Warner up front with them and creating some of that space and that opportunity in the time. Yeah. Both I agree. Matches. And then it's whether, whether you keep Kante in that, that sort of advanced position, whether he, whether he goes with the team that basically finished the game against Tottenham, that could be interesting too, whether there's another new position, slight variation of Kante's position. Right. So, yes, uh, look, Kante is a cheat code. Get him on the pitch and all is well. Uh, <laughs> so uh, the good news is both the Carabao Cup and uh, City are both at Stamford Bridge. So, you know, give... The fact that there's much less travel throughout the week, I think, also helps Tuchel and the team's plannings as well. More recovery, more stability within the within the squad before they head to Turin. So uh, I'm pretty good. Dan, anything else? No, I, I, I mean, the, the, the best news is that we're going to have Matt back at the, uh, the the early part of next week, too. So we could talk about how well these decisions did or didn't go and uh, talk about if uh, Ross Barkley did or did not score that, that screamer. <laughs> yeah, let's see. Let's see. Awesome. All right. Well, thanks, Matt, as always, for jumping on. Go check out his newsletter, uh, everything he puts out. We we retweet and put a lot of stuff out as well. So uh, check him out. Thank him on Twitter for coming on. But it's good to see you again, Matt. Good stuff. Thanks a lot, guys. See you. Awesome. All right. Well, we have three more episodes coming this week. So full of content. Make sure to stay subscribed and check it out. But until next time, Chelsea fans, you know what to do. Keep the blue flag flying high.